We're on a mission from God. Wendy? So I got that going. Darling? Looks like I picked the wrong week to quit sniffing blue. Light of my life. We enjoy your films. I am a human being. I thought they smelled bad. On the outside. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in real time, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today marks the 40th anniversary of the release of The Hunter on August 1st, 1980. It was written by Ted Layton and Peter Hyams, based on a book by Christopher Keene and Ralph Thorson. Uncredited per arbitration was John Rester Zandro, who evidently discovered the story and packaged the film, directed by Buzz Kulik and released by Paramount Pictures. In 1976, Christopher Keene's The Hunter was published. Richard Link and William Levinson had written a script based on the novel, which was rewritten by credited screenwriter and intended director Peter Hyams, who was fired as director after his draft was turned in, as McQueen tried to replace him in the director's chair which is the same shit he pulled on Tom Horn. I was just going to say, that's exactly, this is like flashbacks of Tom Horn. Yeah. As with Tom Horn, McQueen reportedly did a lot of directing on set, which is probably why he installed a TV movie director in Hyam's place. Lee Marvin was at one point considered for the role before McQueen, but I feel like he's too old for it. But I feel like Lee Marvin was probably too old, but... I think I would have liked to have seen Lee Marvin in this. Yeah, I think so, maybe. Sally Field turned down the role of Dottie. During filming in Chicago, McQueen felt particularly unwell and was diagnosed with cancer about a month after they wrapped filming. Apparently, there were rumors on the set that he was dying, which Eli Wallach lent no credibility to until it was confirmed by doctors. This would be McQueen's final film performance. LeVar Burton's part was an afterthought in the script, added because McQueen was a fan of Burton's work, and thought he deserved more roles. In the first draft of the script, the character that Thorson reluctantly invites into his home and then tries to protect his family was written for the dog. (laughs) As a result, the dog unfortunately has very little to do and fired its agent. I made up part of that. I don't know if you can tell. (laughs) Which part? (laughs) You you be the judge. So good job them, forward thinking, in terms of like, let's look at the script. How can we add a, you know, more minority, you know, characters and but stuff But even like specifically LeVar. He was very uh, impressed by LeVar's work. But it's a little offensive that you replace the dog with him. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> I'm curious what his previous work was that he was a fan of, because when I looked, he really didn't have very many roles aside from some TV stuff. I would guess Roots. Oh, maybe. But um, I don't know if that was before or after 1980. I, I don't know. That is a good question. Google? 77. 77. That was probably okay. it then. So, probably Roots. The movie begins with a foreword. In an 1872 decision, the United States Supreme Court ruled that bail bondsmen may employ private citizens to act on their behalf. The court ruled that these private citizens may pursue and apprehend a bail violator in another state or country, and if necessary, may break and enter his house for that purpose. With the arrival of civilization and the closing of the American frontier in the early 1900s, the bounty hunter became extinct but someone forgot to tell Ralph Papa Thorson. But the law was still on the books. Yeah. And so how is how is it extinct? Bounty hunting is still alive and well. Well, this is after the movie, too. I feel like this was a reintroduction to bounty hunting for the American public, that 
people forgot that this was a thing and the only reason that we know about it is because this movie because came Dog, out the bounty and then, hunter. well renegade on the way to bounty hunter <laughs> was what or, uh, or i was gonna say midnight run yeah but either way I, those are all after this yeah and i feel like they true. may have been inspired by this to be like oh yeah i forgot that was a job that people still have but that last bit about the frontier is the most interesting because it seems to be a near direct reference to the character McQueen played earlier this year, Tom Horn, mm-hmm. who was essentially a bounty hunter that was put out of business and to death by the arrival of civilization. Also, to say that they can operate outside of another country, I mean, isn't that up to the other country? I yeah. think decide? so, yes. <laughs> well, that's the other funny thing, too, is that it says, uh, may pursue and apprehend a bail violator in another state or country, and if necessary, may break and enter his house for that purpose. Mm-hmm. So if it's a female, you're not allowed to break in. But you can break into his house. There's no female criminals. That's true. None of them get caught anyway. (laughs) They're smarter than the dudes. (laughs) Uh, So civilized were the people who put Tom Horn to death that nobody even executed him. They developed a machine that allowed him to carry out the sentence himself. Mm. This is McQueen's second biopic of the year, both essentially bounty hunters. And McQueen drives a car very poorly in this film. Uh, It was his suggestion as a joke on his previous expert driving roles but it's not based on thorson at all i feel like i would have been really offended when i watched the movie yeah. and they're just like what a crappy driver this guy was yeah i, w- I was kind of like oh this is bullet what happened yeah i i liked it i thought it was amusing i don't know i i get i get that it's funny but it was driving me crazy when he's <laughs> parallel parking so badly it was just like i can't watch people do this it makes me so angry well then you should not watch me parallel park <laughs> Deal. especially in my mini cooper which yeah. should be easier <laughs> Here, parallel parking, Thorson backs into a car several times in front of its owner, who doesn't care enough for my taste. And he also uh, almost hits a baby. Yeah. A woman with a baby. I, I think it actually takes a lot of skill to drive as badly as he does in this movie because you can tell he's like barely missing things and just going very close to people. Thorson heads into a bar and asks the bartender to tell Tommy Price somebody's looking for him. And then she goes like oh crap or shit or something like that and walks away and it was like but she doesn't tell him that she's gonna go get him or to hold on it's it's like what was your intention to just walk away <laughs> yeah that's true she doesn't come back for a while it, it's also weird that she didn't just say i don't know what you're talking about like mm-hmm. if you're trying to get him like, some coverage just right. say no because he can't go into the back room of this establishment oh, oh apparently he can according to well, the law <laughs> no he can go into homes he can't go oh, he can't true. go literally anywhere he wants he's like sorry i'm allowed to go on this airplane i'm a bounty hunter <laughs> but if, if she if he if she is intending to buy him some time she really should just make up an excuse to find a reason to go back there and just be like hey get out of here go yeah she's like excuse me i gotta go fart in the back room <laughs> <laughs> women problems <laughs> she heads into the back room to find tommy working on an opened up pinball machine giving us the impression that he's a whiz with machines but for all the appliances we see him work on over the course of the film he never actually fixes any of them the bartender tells him to hightail it because there's a cracker out there looking for him and it's not a cop he gives her a weird kiss before rushing out the door <laughs> he's like all right i'll see you later mama and he grabs her chin and kisses her on the lips <laughs> i was like what well, that's strange Outside the back door, Thorson puts a gun right up to Tommy's forehead and explains who and what he is. Tommy thinks bounty hunting sounds illegal, and Thorson says, not really. Thorson backs into the same guy's car a couple more times on his way out, and the guy shouts after him, but doesn't pursue him or anything. He's just like, oh, I guess my car's messed up. I mean, it's a black guy in 1980, so... Yeah, I think it's more a testament to the time than anything else. Yeah, he's like, who's gonna gonna believe you? 
But uh, it's also a guy who we establish as he comes out has a gun and handcuffs. And, right. You know, and he just arrested somebody him. else. Yeah. Or it seems to have. As they drive away, Tommy is amused by Thorson's dysfunctional tape deck, warbling the opera music he was listening to. He accuses Thorson of kidnapping him, and then Thorson presents him with a card uh, with a printing of the 1872 Supreme Court decision on it, uh, something he likely has to do often. When bail is given, the person or persons putting up said bail may exercise their rights in person or by agent. They may pursue principal into another state, may arrest him on the Sabbath if necessary, may break and enter his home. Man, that's chicken shit. I, I feel, though, that this should have been done in lieu of the opening credit scroll. Yeah, it didn't I, need to happen I, twice. That's true. Yeah, because I was like, oh, we just heard all this. Yeah. Uh, Tommy offers to fix the tape deck, and we cut to a gas station where Tommy's just draped in the unspooled tape as Thorson is filling the tank, I think. That's what he's doing. Um, I think I thought he was putting water in the radiator. Maybe yeah, that's what he's yeah, doing. Yeah, he was. Who knows? Nobody knows. You guys seem pretty certain, though. <laughs> Thorson mocks Tommy for his claims of mechanical ability while repeatedly trying to stuff a loose piece of the car back together as like a piece of foam that's hanging off of the door frame, and he just keeps tucking it back up. And I was watching this with Addie, and she pointed out as soon as they put the camera in the back seat that suddenly it's taped closed mm. and she's like oh the thing's not hanging anymore and then they start driving again and it's hanging again she's like it's hanging again <laughs> like that's a whole job Eddie. you could do that tommy asks how he found him and mcqueen explains that someone put their house up as bail and so they told them where to find him he's furious that this person who staked their house on trusting him to appear in court would rat on him <laughs> it's like uh would they would you rather they just surrender their home that that's not really a shit move on their part that's really you will i go to jail Pappy? i don't know thorson parks shittily in front of the police station and tommy jokes who taught you how to drive leon spinks i don't get this joke i don't either uh, i looked it up spinks is a professional boxer but I don't know what the joke is that's being made unless he's just punching the car with his oh. car. Maybe he's a notoriously he, bad driver. Uh, he, or maybe he's just fighting with the car. I don't know. Who knows? Inside the station, Thorson tries to collect the bounty paperwork for Billy Joe Page. I think he says Page. The cop says that he ought to talk to the sheriff about this particular bounty. And Thorson heads upstairs to a very unconvincing office. It's clearly a set for TV, but on film it looks awful. Instead yeah. of windows, the office is wrapped in backlit photos of a city skyline with very clear seams in it. The sheriff says, I've heard a lot about you, Thorson. All bad. And then he tells him to leave town without Billy Joe. Thorson's not interested in doing that until the sheriff pulls a revolver out of his desk. And he says, Goodbye, Mr. Thorson. Bye, Sheriff. He's just right on board with it. All right. He steps out of the office, but then he pops back in for a second, looking a little confused, and the sheriff says, Because he's my nephew, Mr. Thorson. And he just nods in understanding and leaves again. I, I like this scene because it felt very cartoony to me. Like when, mm -hmm. you know, cartoon walks in, sees something dangerous, and walks right back yeah. out. The, the Grandpa Simpson. <laughs> yeah, yes, the hat exactly. showed up. Yep. <laughs> Thorson drives immediately to Billy Joe's place and parks the car, handcuffing Tommy to the steering wheel. I kept thinking Tommy's tech savvy would lead to him escaping here or hot wiring the car, but it never does. Yeah, since he has a toolkit on yeah. him. Well, that would have meant thinking deeper than, you know, replacing the dog character in the <laughs> script. True. Because handcuffing the dog is like, there's no way a dog could figure out how to get right. out of the right? handcuffs. <laughs> but wouldn't that make it that much more fun? He grabs what he calls a stun gun out of the trunk and loads it up with a beanbag. 
This is actually what stun guns were before they were electric. I didn't know that until I looked it up, but apparently well, they, stun guns were actually like beanbag. They still yeah, have beanbag they, guns. I was going to say, they still have guns like this that shoot right. beanbags. But th- the word stun gun was initially used for these things oh, that makes before sense. they okay. started making the electric stun guns. On approach, Thorson leaves the stun gun outside the back door and begins sneaking through the house. The music as he's sneaking around reminds me a little bit of like a John Carpenter score. There's like a dainty little piano thing going on. Yeah. Uh, he does this weird move where he dives to the floor and starts playing with the electric train. I was, yeah. like, yes. I was like, this is kind of weird. But then later on, was, oh, I guess that kind of makes sense why yeah. he did that. Because he's obsessed with old toys. Yeah, I forgot about that until just now. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> finally that makes sense. Because when it was happening, I'm like, why is he doing this? He's probably trying to get like the model or something of yeah. it. Like, he's like, oh, this is pretty cool. Potentially going to take this while I leave. Thorson stages himself outside Billy Joe's room with Mace. But before he can even knock, Billy Joe smashes the door down, crushing Thorson. And it seems like breaking the mace container because it's just dripping after that. But before he breaks it, he sort of sprays it in the air almost like it's perfume. Like, I don't really understand if is is he testing it to make sure it works. Or or maybe there's that's like a way to use it is to like fill an area with air and Mm -hmm. have him walk through that space. So he has just the hint of pepper spray on him. Just a hint. Put a little bit behind the ears. (laughs) That'd be a good way to show that someone's like a badass is they, they use like pepper spray as banaca. Like, <laughs> All good. He tosses Thorson around the room, demolishing the entire kitchen while Thorson scrambles to fight back with a knee to the balls or a full bowl of flour to the face until Billy Joe tosses him through the back door that he entered through. Meanwhile, Billy Joel's, uh, Billy, I keep wanting to say Billy Joel. (laughs) (laughs) Billy Joel's girlfriend is cheering him on. Yeah, she just came out with like a blanket wrapped around her. And, uh, yeah, except she looks like she's five years old. I was really concerned about this. But she's also enjoying this fight because the house is just getting destroyed. And she's like, great, I hated having a kitchen. Yeah, there's some weird features to this fight. Yeah. Like a bowl of flour that's just sitting there on the table that gets used as a weapon yeah they were going to do something with it later maybe who knows i don't know why there's a bowl of flowers sitting out but now on the ground thorson crawls to this stun gun and when billy joe appears in the doorway thorson nails him right in the ribs with a little red macaroon <laughs> that's what it looks like <laughs> it's a beanbag apparently uh he's knocked out and his girlfriend dressed in only a blanket tries to wake him hey that ain't fair you pudhead billy joe billy joe wake up billy joe Wake up, Billy Joe! Wake up! The sheriff is getting his hair cut in his office when Thorson calls him back to announce that he is leaving town. The sheriff says, that's a smart move. And then Thorson adds, except one thing, I'm taking your nephew with me. I do kind of like that the sheriff accepts what happened here. Well, He's just like, you've done a good job. <laughs> well, this is this is the first of what I thought the plot of this movie was going to be about. Yeah, the sheriff trying to get like revenge on him somehow. Yeah, and I was like, yeah, I was like, why the hell would you call him? Um, this is going to be the terrible setup for the plot of this movie is that yeah. he's going to be pursued by this sheriff all the way. It's going to be, it's going to be midnight run, but instead of, you know, all these other people after him, it's just going to be this crooked sheriff. Yeah. It would have made more sense if it was someone from the station calling to say, Hey, we're processing your nephew right now. But he says, you've done a good job. You was doing your duty and I was protecting my kin. Though he does tack on a little threat at the end, inviting Thorson to come see him the next time he's in town. And Thorson's like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. I'll be right by. And then he exits the movie, never to be seen again. Yeah. 
Thorson, by the way, is making this call on a payphone that he just pulled the car up to, and he can barely reach it from the driver's seat. So he's like almost falling out of the car to hang it up. He drives back to Los Angeles with both of his captives. I like when he pulls away because the Billy Joe is super big and yeah. heavy, and the car is just like completely tilted to one side because like both uh, fugitives are in the back seat, and right. uh, Billy Joe's on the same side uh, as he's on the driver's side. Yeah, he's on the driver's side, so that side's weighed down really heavy. The other side's like high up in the air. But he's also sticking like two feet above everybody else in the car well luckily it's a convertible otherwise i feel like he'd be hitting his head on the roof he just wouldn't fit in it also how how many uh hours is it from houston to los angeles it's quite a drive you can make it in about eight hours (laughs) i i I don't think we made it back from arizona in eight hours that's true as he fills out paperwork to collect his bounties thorson is approached by a cop impressed by his catch who invites him to try a more respectable job which is essentially the same conversation he had earlier this year in Tom Horn when the local lawman offers him the protection of working for the law proper. But again, he doesn't want to have a boss. He likes the way his life works. Tommy's clearly shaken by his impending courtroom appearance, and Thorson slips him a piece of paper with his info and says, tell the judge that you have a job with me when you get out. At first, what I thought he meant by this was when you get out of prison. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I think he meant. That is what he meant. No, but I mean, like, like he's going to be going away to prison for, like, years. Yeah, I think he was saying, tell the judge that. And then when he gets back to his house and, and the kid's there, he says, oh, the judge just let me go because you said that. Oh, okay. Yeah. Back on his own home street, a couple of cars full of Mexicans are honking and shouting greetings to Papa. He seems like he's a, a neighborhood favorite. Though a man across the street in a VW bus seems less fond of him. Thorson's living room is overflowing with people. The crowd playing poker around his dinner table invite him to join, and he says, better not. He heads back into his bedroom to find his girlfriend, wife, I think she's a girlfriend. Girlfriend, because they make a deal about how they're not, yeah. Uh, her name's Dottie, and she's asleep and eight months pregnant. Yeah, I wasn't clear when he walked in, though, as to what their relationship was, because mm-hmm. I was pretty sure, I'm like, okay, well, she's definitely young enough to be his daughter. Yeah. And then he goes and snuggles up to her in a way you don't snuggle your daughter. And it was super creepy. Yeah. But she's a good 20 years younger than him. Uh, he surprises her with an original Buck Rogers rocket patrol toy. And she does not appreciate it enough. <laughs> I was like, is that a rocket in your pocket? Or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> oh, it's a rocket. <laughs> when I was watching it with Addie, she was like, why, did, why didn't she like the toy? That was a pretty cool toy. <laughs> Apparently, this is all like Steve McQueen's actual toys. Like the toy collection in the movie is actually his collection. So it's another thing that he was like, hey, why don't we do this thing that Thorson didn't do? <laughs> she reminds him that they have Lamaze class tonight, and he says he needs to pick up Winston Blue this afternoon. And she says, Winston, that's three times this month. Winston's place is surrounded by police trying to clear the area. For whatever reason, they've determined that he's a dangerous criminal and likely armed. Thorson steals the police megaphone for a moment and shouts up, Hey, Winston, it's Papa. They make it seem like these criminals just love surrendering to Papa. Probably because he treats them better than the cops do, but it's clearly an affectionate nickname. I'm really bothered by this scene because it kind of just goes on and progresses without us understanding why this person had a gazillion cops, you know, aiming. Like, they had sharpshooters on top of the building aiming at this guy. And I'm like, what happened to turn him into this? I also get the impression that all the people in his house are just a collection of criminals that he's apprehended and given jobs to. Is that what that is? I, I was think super so. confused. I thought they were roommates at first. Like that like like the implication was that he's so poor from 
this is his job that he has to live with like eight other guys and his pregnant girlfriend no i i think it's that these are all people that were down on their luck and he offered them a place to stay and work to do someone comes to the balcony outside winston's room and says don't make such a fuss for heaven's sake he's dressing and the crowd gets a real kick out of this winston eventually comes out in like a full pimp outfit and the whole team of cops have guns trained on him it's actually really nerve-wracking yeah i was like any minute now he's gonna make the wrong move right? yeah but he's not taking it very seriously and he for some reason doesn't expect any itchy trigger fingers even though this is the lapd uh the cops cuff him and thorson heads back to the bail bondsman's office where he gets all of his jobs from an italian couple are speaking with thorson's contact richie blumenthal about their son anthony who's on the lam he reminds them that their son is running out of time to turn himself in and if he doesn't that the restaurant that the bernardos have put as collateral will become richie's property he says he already has two restaurants and he doesn't want another one i'm assuming he could just sell it though if he wanted to but probably not for as he much as it's actually worth for it yeah blumenthal recommends that they contract a bounty hunter specifically thorson to retrieve their son and get him to court richie and thorson head out for lunch where thorson reminds him you owe me 800 for price and a thousand for billy joe richie tries to make a baby gift of the bernardo kid but thorson is looking at the branch brothers that's who he wants to bring in he says oh my dog could give me the branch brothers but uh, he wins this argument and thorson gets a call in the restaurant from someone named mason threatening to kill him after the phone call ends we see mason hanging up the phone across the restaurant so he's here watching him now yeah so again uh is the plot of this movie going to be the the crooked sheriff who wants who wants revenge is it gonna be going after the branch brothers or this bernardo guy or is it gonna be this mason guy what's the plot of this movie going to be yeah and there's there's another thread that's dropped here too where richie says something like hey so what's up with that cop guy because like the cop that he spoke to earlier that said oh you should get a respectable job Mm -hmm. was here in the restaurant like hassling him yeah he's like you heard anything about that cop i don't know i just hear some things and he's like yeah "Ah, i don't don't know what you're talking about um is that the cop that we come back to later yes Yes. okay at home thorson is in crosshairs as he exits his car inside the house tommy lives here now and has helpfully disassembled the television because the picture was no good the picture was perfect no see the color was off i'm fixing it he asks one of his other live-in criminals who mason might be and after a few guesses he gets to rocco mason who apparently spent some time in an asylum they had to submerge him in thorazine (laughs) that's how the guy describes his treatment in his bedroom he tells Dottie that he's leaving town but he'll still go to lama's class with her but she'll have to drop him off at the airport afterward also here's a gun yeah he tells he tells her about this weird call and hands her a noisy cricket and asks if she remembers how to use it but it's funny because he's like remember how to shoot this right and she's like yeah (laughs) this woman is handling being eight months pregnant with a house full of strangers an absentee boyfriend a full-time job and routine death threats like a champ on the way to lamaz thorson criticizes her driving and she shuts it down right away inside thorson makes it clear that he's not interested in participating but the woman running the Lamaz class kind of forces him into it against his will. He tries to like blame his bad back and she's like, oh, I know, but it's so great what you're doing for her and just like brings him down to the ground. Like, now just put your hands here. It's just like, he was clearly you trying to- your back hurts? Yeah. <laughs> Thorson lands the next day in Nebraska where he's handed the keys to a black Trans Am with only 78 miles on it. He's trying to ask her for an older car as yeah. she walks away. Um, I, I like my note here because I, I was like, he's given a transom. What the hell is a transom? 
<laughs> I was like, oh, it's trans. <laughs> I just wrote it as one word. <laughs> What's a transom, Bob? Dottie is working in her classroom when a whispering voice outside the door makes death threat riddles. Violets are blue. Roses are red. There's no school today. Whoever you are, you're a jerk. Because teachers And she rushes to lock all the doors. Suddenly Rocco's face fills the window in the door and he's painted with Native American markings and his eyes are closed and he's just screaming into the window. Tell Papa Mason said soon. Real soon. It's, it was like really upsetting. (laughs) It's very genuine nightmare fuel. Yes. And, uh, Dottie reacts to this image, I would say appropriately by just screaming along with him (laughs) because I don't know what's happening. Why is this happening? Thorson chats with a cop at the Branch Brothers hometown and I can't tell what the guy says here, but he says, oh yeah, I know who you're talking about. Those brothers are dumb as shit and meat is what I think he says, but it's also possible he says, Dumb as shit and me. Branch Brothers, sure. Crazy bastards, dumb as shit and me. I can't <laughs> tell what he says, but I hope it's the latter because that makes me laugh harder. Uh, he gives Thorson directions to find them, but he refuses to offer any cops to help bring him in. Dottie finishes speaking with the police about the in-person death threat from the maniac her husband warned her about yesterday and thinks it's no big deal. It's probably just a crazy person, she says. The principal offers a substitute for the day, not like the rest of her pregnancy, but just today. And Dottie says, no, don't worry about it. It was nothing. (laughs) Thorson pulls up to the Branch Brothers farm and things get weird. (laughs) (laughs) He approaches the house as bundles of dynamite with lit fuses are just being tossed into the lawn around him. He evades them a few times before the Branch Brothers blow past him into their own cornfield with his rental car. He pursues them with the only vehicle left, their combine harvester. This leads to a longer-than-necessary low-speed chase between the car and combine. Unclear why these guys are so cool with destroying their own cornfield, but it seems like some pretty neat stunt driving as the two vehicles circle blindly through the crops, narrowly missing each other repeatedly. It's a, it's a pretty cool overhead shot, so yeah. you just get to see... And, and the... The car that they're driving is black, and so it really kind of blends in. So you kind of just see this. You corn just see the line <laughs> folding over in this line as the as the combine comes around and follows that line of folded corn. The brothers even try to toss dynamite into their own combine before blasting out of the field onto the road. One of the brothers drops more dynamite in the road, and they think they're home free until the combine appears ahead of them and they slam it into reverse, eventually backing over their own dynamite and blasting the Trans Am to pieces. I'm pretty sure they would have died in this explosion. I I thought for sure that they were dead until they were cartoonishly brought in in bandages. Right. Uh, We cut to the car rental place where Thorson is returning just pieces of the car on a flatbed truck, and he hands the keys to the woman who gave them to him. We see the Mexican neighbors dropping Papa off at home. 
And uh, Dottie shares a story from Lamaze about a woman who almost went into premature labor until her husband started coaching her breathing and possibly saved the baby's life. Thorson heads to check on his friend Pete, I think is the first name. What yeah, is the last Pete name? Spada. Spada. And uh, this is the cop that we saw before. He's drinking very heavily and carrying a handgun around his apartment. He stumbles to his balcony and he pretends to shoot at a suspect that he can see from his own apartment. He complains about how he can't get any charges to stick to this guy. So in frustration, he stole drugs from the evidence locker to sell himself, since it's so hard to get caught. But somehow word got around what he did, and he'll probably be losing his job soon. Pete invites Thorson to drink with him, intending later to kill himself because cops don't fare very well in prison. Thorson obliges him. Do you think Thorson kills him? No. No? But I think he's he might be there when it happens. Mm. I think he saw him through to the end, potentially. I think he. it seems like he's he tries to talk him down for a while. And it doesn't work. And eventually he, you know, he offers like, oh, grab that other bottle. Let's finish it off. And then I'll kill myself afterwards. Yeah. And and he goes and gets the other bottle and they both start drinking together. And he pours a hefty drink for himself. So I suspect he just sort of understands that, yeah, if I were in your situation, this is what I'd want too. So I'm just going to let this happen. I feel like what we could have used in this scene is just a shot of him in the car, like thinking to himself, like, am I going to go back in or am I not going to go back in? And then you just hear a gunshot. And then he starts the car to drive away. Mm. But they didn't want to punctuate the suicide with him grinding the gears of this car and not knowing how to pull it out of the garage where he just slammed it into the guy's house. We go back to the living room where Thorson comes in very drunk and kicks out everybody but Dottie. He has a very nasty fight with her about the baby and says that it's wrong to bring a child into the world. They continue an argument we weren't privy to about an abortion that he apparently urged her to have earlier in the pregnancy. She says that it wasn't his decision, and he says, well, both of us should have been involved in the decision. And she says, both of us don't get an abortion, Ralph. He leaves to head to the bar. Word comes from the bartender that Spada killed himself. I don't, I don't know how they knew to tell him that, but someone at the bar finds out, and the bartender knows him well enough to be like, mm-hmm. hey, this happened. But it doesn't seem like he's surprised by it. So I think he was either there when it happened, or he was 100% sure that it was going to happen when he left. Yeah. The man playing the bartender here is the real-life Ralph Papa Thorson. We cut to the next morning where Thorson is waking up in his car, looking confused, and heads home. In the kitchen, Tommy has the toaster open, just ruining it, and he tells Thorson that Dottie's in her room. In the bedroom, she says that she heard about Spada, but she's still upset about what he said. And she says, if you don't want me and you don't want the baby, we don't want you. And she leaves. The score here feels very melodramatic and old-fashioned for an 80s movie. Presumably days later, Richie comes to visit Thorson at two in the afternoon, waking him up. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's literally climbing through his bedroom window because I assume no one answered the door for a while. Which is weird because I thought Tommy was there. Yeah, maybe. Who knows? Uh, Richie's trying to sell Thorson on Bernardo as a as a potential bounty again. It's $8,000, which is a lot. It's the biggest bounty that we've heard in this movie. It was only 3000 for the Branch Brothers, and they had a lot of dynamite. <laughs> Thorson gives in to the demand and heads to Dottie's class to tell her that he's going to Chicago, but he'll be back in a few days. She says she might not be home when he gets back. Hasn't she not been home already? Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, I think he's coming to try to make peace with her. Yeah. You know, which is why he starts off the conversation with, I did the shopping, you know, like, hey, I'm, you know, that was his version of, I'm sorry, please come home. Yeah. As soon as Thorson gets into Bernardo's apartment in Chicago, Bernardo is blasting a shotgun through the door. Thorson fires back with a handgun and wastes a lot of bullets. Yeah. Shooting past the kid. Uh, 
It didn't seem necessary because he's clearly not trying to hit him. He needs to collect this kid. Bernardo gets up on the roof and they chase from building to building for a bit. Bernardo climbs down to the street and runs under the train to a barbed wire fence. And then he just turns off into the city. He crashes into an old woman and is nearly hit by a couple of cars trying to lose Thorson before slipping onto a train just as it leaves the station. But then he notices that Thorson also made it to the train. And so he grabs a nearby kid and puts a gun to her head before turning to frantically shoot another passenger in the heart and for sure kill this person. So he's already murdered one person on this train. And then he fires four more shots like down train through windows, which would clearly have hit other people because it's a yeah. very crowded train. Yeah, the collateral damage that happens in this movie is pretty incredible. Like, I can't believe that uh, Thornton gets away with all of this stuff yeah. scot-free. Like, how, how does he not get arrested for the consequences of his actions? Yeah, because this is the scene where the cop gets back to the station and he's getting chewed out by the chief for screwing up and, you know, blowing up a whole square block or whatever. Like, yeah. But for some reason, Thorson doesn't have to deal with any of that. He's uh, not police. Yeah. And the other guy was the one doing the shooting, mostly. Yeah. <laughs> Thorson gets up on top of the train when he's trying to evade Bernardo's shots, and he fires nine more bullets through the roof at Thorson. Yeah, I was wondering how many bullets are in this right? yeah. gun. The bullet uh, count did not line up right. Thorson accidentally yanks a metal bar loose from the train roof, and then it swings off the side of the train, and he's just dangling precariously off the side. I guess uh, this train was actually moving at about 40 miles per hour when they had... I think it was a stunt guy that was doing it, but that's still crazy that they let someone hang off the L train. Yeah. Bernardo sees him out the window and fires a 14th shot at him without having reloaded. Thorson has to squat low on the train as it enters a tunnel. And the guy driving the train skips the intended stop, so Bernardo yanks the emergency brake before running away into the dark tunnel. And Thorson follows him. And then the train just starts right back up. Yeah, which... And I, yeah. I don't know if a train can do that when the emergency brakes slam well, it shut. But also, like, in terms of the choices that the conductor has at this point, like, there was there was obviously shooting on the train, and I don't know where that gunman is, and I don't know where that other person that was crawling on top of the train is. Would you just take off, or would you continue to stop, assuming that if the gunman is still on the train, I don't want this train moving. I want to be stopped to try to get people out mm-hmm. of here. Yeah. But either way, he just he just books it as soon as the guy hops off. Maybe he could see that he left, and he was just like, let's get these people as far away from these guns as yeah, we can. It's also, I guess, to me, it would be a dangerous situation if he's in an unscheduled position inside the tracks. Yeah, right? maybe. That, that means, like, I better get this train out of here Yeah, because I don't know what's coming. Or he's like, I gotta head back to that station we skipped because those people are gonna be mad. <laughs> I I do love just like the the crowd talking throughout the whole hostage ordeal until one person just says, "Oh God, when is it going to end?" <laughs> and I was like, "Man, I'm with you on this. This chase is going on." When they drive through the station and miss people, there's there's a bunch of people standing on the tracks. They're like, "Oh, where's it going?" And it didn't stop. And then one guy's like, "There's a guy on top of the train." <laughs> <laughs> Um, above ground, the camera tilts up on a hundred-story-looking parking structure. Bernardo steals a car, and Thorson steals a tow truck, and a spiral chase takes them to the top of this tower. The- this is this is Marina City, apparently. Yeah. Um, I did some m- very minor research because I was like, "What are these buildings?" Um, I think they're apartments. Um, but right beneath in the river, and you see it for a moment, is that you can just pull your boats right up and park your boats underneath these buildings. Yeah. They're still there. 
The tow truck obviously doesn't fit as well as the car, and Thorson is smashing it on the way up into a lot more than $8,000 worth of cars. Yeah. Like, again, where are the consequences? Like, how does he walk away from this with nobody, you know, coming after him for all of the damage he does? Eventually, there's a guy coming down in a pretty nice car, and he just tears the crap out of it as he's trying to pull around it on his way up. But the guy is just comically silent watching this damage being done to his own vehicle. Bernardo gets to, I guess, the top or somewhere that he can't get past before he turns around. And he's racing downward as Thorson is racing upward. And then to avoid a head-on collision, he just swerves and drives it out of the structure and plummets many stories into the river. I guarantee they didn't retrieve this car either. It's, it lives underwater with Herbie now. <laughs> Thorson gets home to find Tommy beat to shit in the kitchen and bleeding all over everything. So did he die? Tommy? No, the the, the Bernardo. Oh, for sure. Because the dynamite certainly. guys survived. They got no, blown no, no, up no. by a stick of dynamite. That guy wasn't making it out of that river. They just cut to him, like, driving it- with a car covered in seaweed on a flatbed. <laughs> Uh, Tommy says that Rocco took Dottie and that he said something about school. I feel like if I were Rocco and I really wanted him to come to the school, I would be more specific like, tell him we went to the school. (laughs) Thorson heads directly to her classroom. This is after hours, obviously, and he finds her tied to a chair and moves to untie her when Rocco surprises him from the darkness with a big gun. Rocco makes Thorson ditch all of his weapons and then a security guard enters the room and says, what's going on before he gets shot to pieces? by Rocco, Thorson takes this opportunity to To run. (laughs) Yeah, he just runs away from his pregnant wife uh, and a chase through the school commences. I mean, I think he was trying to lure him away because he knew he would follow him. He moves into a science lab and he starts cranking up all the Bunsen burners. Eventually, Rocco figures out what room he's in and when he steps inside, Thorson pushes a rolling skeleton toward him and he fires his gun, igniting the gas and the whole classroom explodes. It's not 100% clear that he died in this explosion, but yeah, we don't see him again, so he must have. Yeah, I still like would have put a little bit more urgency in the, let's get the frick out of here, yeah. because that guy is going to come out, and he's going to be a flaming man with a machine gun yeah. shooting at us, so let's get out of here. It's interesting, though, that we don't go any further in depth into this guy's motivation or backstory. Oh, yeah. It's just, no, he blew up. He was crazy, and he blew up. That's the story. Uh, Thorson rushes down to Dottie, and her water has broken, so he gets her to the car to rush her to the hospital. She thinks it's time to start pushing, but he remembers her story from Lamaze and tries to encourage her to blow instead and relax. And she says, Oh, it's coming! No! <laughs> he gets to the hospital and rushes inside for assistance. Once he's conveyed the message that she's giving birth in the car, he collapses in the hospital lobby. By the time he comes to, the doctors are seeing to Dottie, and the baby is already born by the time he gets to the car. The doctors just take it away from Dottie when they find out he's the father and hand him the kid without asking her or anything. The baby sneezes, and he says, God bless you. And that's the end of the film. Christopher Kane's novel was followed by a 2000 sequel called The Huntress that focuses on Dottie and his daughter taking over the business of bounty hunting in the wake of Papa's 1991 death by car bomb. So this character actually died on the job 11 years after this movie came out. It was adapted into a USA series starring Annette O'Toole and Jordana Spiro as the widow and daughter of Thorson. Oh, I love Annette O'Toole. 
and I like Jordana Spiro. The show also features Chris Pratt as a regular character really? named Nick Owens, but I have no idea what his relation to the rest of the cast is. What year is. was this? Because that two thousand. Oh, I guess maybe not. Our director here was Buzz Kulik. This was his last feature, though he is an uncredited director on next year's The Pursuit of D.B. Cooper. He previously directed Brian's Song and a lot of TV movies and a couple Twilight Zones also. Writer Ted Layton, this was his only feature script and he had a handful of TV episodes. Writer Peter Hyams yeah. directed 2010, Outland, Time Cop, End of Days. He wrote 2010 and Outland. Yeah. And he also wrote and directed The Star Chamber and yeah. Capricorn One, which yeah. is one of my favorites. It's like he's, he, he's hitting all the space movies. Yeah, a lot of stuff. The novel was Christopher Keene, and his other notable credit was for The Huntress. Uh, Steve McQueen was Papa Thorson here. We had him as Tom Horn earlier this year, and he's in The Great Escape, Papillon, Bullet, The Getaway. Uh, he was in The Magnificent Seven 20 years earlier. Eli Wallach was Richie Blumenthal. He was also in The Magnificent Seven 20 years earlier. He's also Tuco from The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Mm -hmm. He plays Don Altobello in Godfather Part Three. And he was Cotton Weinberger in The Two Jakes. Catherine Harold was Dottie. She plays Monique in Raw Deal. She plays Mary Harvard in Modern Romance. Francine Sanders, ex-wife of Larry Sanders on The Larry Sanders Show. And Hannah in The Pursuit of D.B. Cooper. Potentially ghost directed by our director here. LeVar Burton was Tommy Price. He was Kunta Kinte on Roots. He was Geordie LaForge on Star Trek The Next Generation and a bunch of other Star Treks, including hopefully Picard soon. Has he been on Picard yet? Um, I actually still haven't finished the last two episodes. Okay. Um, I'm waiting for her next trip to Arizona. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's uh, an inside joke, people. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, but um, I think it got picked up for two more seasons. Did regardless. it really? really? I'm not surprised. Uh, he was also obviously on Reading Rainbow. He was the host of Reading Rainbow. And he was the voice of Kwame, bearer of the Earth Ring on Captain Planet. Ben Johnson was Sheriff Strong. That's the guy whose nephew is Billy Joe. He plays Tector Gorch in The Wild Bunch, which I think somewhere in the film, Eli Wallach refers to the Branch Brothers as the Wild Bunch. They're children. They're, they're little boys. They don't even shave yet. Hey, they're the Wild Bunch. So that's funny that they have a member of that cast in here. He was also Sam the Lion in The Last Picture Show and Jack Bannon in The Getaway. Tracy Walter was Rocco Mason. He's obviously Bob the Goon in Batman. He plays Miller in Repo Man. He's Malak in Conan the Destroyer, Cookie in City Slickers, and he's a speedboat salesman in Matilda. He's not a speedboat salesman. Yeah, he is. He said he was a speedboat salesman. <laughs> I like him. It's him and Paul Rubens, right? Yeah. 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 The two the uh, two Burton agents. regulars. Yeah. And they're being directed in that movie by Penguin. Another Burton. Yeah. Thomas Rosales Jr. was Bernardo. He plays Vince in Speed. He plays Carter in Jurassic Park The Lost World. He's an oil worker in Tremors 2. And he plays Charles LaFond in MacGyver episode The Spoilers. That's the one with Earthquake Toberman. Oh, okay. Uh, I think he's the guy that runs the chemical company. That might even be called The Chemical Company or something <laughs> like that. Were they, were they poisoned his dog? Yeah, they, they killed his dog. It's basically just john wick before john wick james spinks played the angry car owner not related to leon spinks he plays hippo in car wash he was tracy stewart in mo money and he plays technician number one in the omen two frank delfino is one of the poker players don't know which one but he plays the child ape from planet of the apes 
He plays the auctioneer in Willy Wonka, who's selling the last box of chocolate bars. Hmm. And he's also, he was the Hamburglar on a TV series called McDonald Land. I think it was a voice. I think it was an animated series. Michael D. Roberts is another one of the poker players. He plays Vern in Rain Man, and he plays two very important MacGyver characters, Dr. Redem Tour, the zombie maker. Okay. And Booker from The Challenge. The Challenge. He gets the uh, the Colombian necktie in that episode. I forgot. Oh, the my god! darkest MacGyver episode ever. And he also played Maddie in A Star is Born, the recent adaptation. F. William Parker was the watch commander. He plays Captain Luno in Lost Highway. He was Sergeant in Revenge of the Nerds. And he plays a doctor in terms of endearment. Tony Burton was Garbage Man 2. I don't remember the Garbage Man in this movie. But Tony Burton was Garbage Man 2. He was Apollo's trainer Duke in six Rocky movies. He also played Durkin in The Shining. That's Scatman's friend who rents him the snowcat. Okay. And he'll be back later this year in Stir Crazy and Inside Moves. Toreen Black played Hustler. He plays Laidlaw in Deep Star 6. He's the voice of Roscoe in Oliver and Company. And he plays a lawyer in Rocky 2. Joffrey C. Brown was a train passenger. Not sure which one. He has lots of stunt work credits, but he's also the guy who gets eaten by a raptor at the beginning of the first Jurassic Park film. Huh. That's two Jurassic Park people, then. Yeah. Is he perhaps the stunt guy who's hanging off of the train? Potentially. And Al Ruscio was Mr. Bernardo. He plays Leo Cuneo in Godfather 3, so a second Godfather 3 credit. He's Mr. Carlman in Showgirls, and he plays the police commissioner in the movie The Phantom. The Billy Zane one, not the Ben Affleck one. <laughs> That's fantastic. Watch your pronouns and your pluralities. What do you think, Jess? It's an up or a down. Mm, man, this was a very middle of the road movie. Yeah. It's hard to say up or down because I didn't dislike it, but there wasn't anything super special here. Yeah. I guess my up and downs come down to would I tell somebody else to watch this? And I probably wouldn't, so I'm going to give it a down. I think I would also give it a down, although I do have to say, I haven't seen Catherine Harold in a lot of stuff, and I thought she was great in this movie. Yeah. Um, I get why uh, they couldn't get Sally Field. I understand why Sally Field turned it down, because it's not the central character, and there's mm-hmm. not like a lot of emotion yeah. for that character. Yeah, she was she was pretty known at that point. Yeah. Smoking the Bandit. And- but I, I, I did think it was it was an interesting choice for her to not be phased by any of this, especially in her condition, to, to just be like, yeah, no, that's fine. Like, in a normal movie, the wife character would just be pissed off about this stuff happening at yeah. all, even yeah. if she wasn't pregnant. No, I mean, I think that was a great choice because clearly that's the person who would be with him for this long. Right, and clearly in real life, the kind of person who was with him because she took over the business of bounty hunting when he left. Right. In real life, she wasn't a teacher. She was a caseworker who brought him people to consider and to and to look for. So in real life, did she then also take over? Yes, in, in real okay. life, she took over the business. Him, Her and his daughter took over the business of bounty hunting. Okay, I didn't know if that was a dramatization no. for the second book. That was, that based really on, happened. That was also based on yeah. reality. I mean, obviously the... The TV show dramatizes it further, but it was a real thing that happened, and then they just made it into a series. I would give it a down. Um, yeah. I, I this movie didn't really resonate any kind of real emotions with me. It was kind of a mess, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, with all these like possible plots, and then the main plot just has to get wrapped up real quick because there was only ten minutes left of the movie, and he comes back from this other like crazy chase that has nothing to do with 
what I think the plot of the movie is. Yeah, I, I don't know, honestly, what the main plot is because there's like four competing plots and they wrap up very quickly and none of them gets a solid bow. Like well, the guy killing himself, we're not even sure what happened there. The kid dying in the river, we don't know what happened there. I also think that they deserved to put a little bit more emphasis on the fact that he's taking a lot of really risky jobs right now because he needs money and they don't really emphasize why because honestly he seems to have a big house this seems to be an abundance of you know work for him like it yeah. doesn't see it doesn't seem like there's any real urgency for why he's taking so many risks right now yeah and and like we said just there's there's four plots happening simultaneously and none of them get any kind of closure really well they they did blow up a guy which guy did they blow up? Well, we don't know what happened to that guy. We I just guess. know they went straight to the hospital and had a baby after that. That's true. I mean, I think the the assumption is that, yes, that guy died in that explosion. But we don't really know why he was so mad at Thorson because they never go into it. I mean, presumably he brought him in, but everybody else seems to love getting brought to the police <laughs> yeah. by this guy. Yeah. I think they, they tried too hard to make him a likable character, and they were just like, well, he's a bounty hunter, so people like him because it's like he's outside the law, but he gets things done. And let's say the criminals like him too. Well, why would they like him? I don't know. He's just friendly. It's like, but he's isn't he really good at arresting them and taking them to jail? Yeah, but like it's cool the way he does it. So they like it. I feel like they wouldn't they wouldn't like him so much. Yeah. I think this is a this is a sad note to go out on, and it's also retreading so much of what he did in Tom Horn, which I think is it, although we, although it has its own flaws, a superior movie. I agree. Letterbox, where's this going, Richard? Um, I have this pretty low. Um, I have this beneath Rough Cut and just above Little Dragons. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, so this puts it as number 65. It's low. Little Dragons. I think for me, this is going to go just between Just Tell Me What You Want and A Small Circle of Friends. So just under Just Tell Me What You Want and just above A Small Circle of Friends. How, how far Just Tell Me What You Want has come... <laughs> <laughs> i really hated that movie at the beginning but and now i learned it's not as bad as some other movies in 1980 <laughs> all right this is just below hangar 18 and just above holy moses for me all right i think that's about everything for this one if you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us we are vintage video pod on twitter facebook instagram and letterboxd where as i've said before you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year we can also be found at vintagevideopodcast.com Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. If you're feeling especially generous, you can support the show through patreon.com slash vintagevideopodcast. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Loose Shoes, a.k.a. Coming Attractions, which IMDb describes like so. Broad satire and buffoonery presented as a series of movie trailers. We leave you now with the trailer for some trailers? They came empty-handed, but left with a fistful. Invasion of the Penis Snatchers! Here's a movie that makes Mel Brooks's humor seem sophisticated. Woody Allen's statuesque. It's Loose Shoes. A movie about ordinary people who get fed up and fight back. With Bill Murray. What the hell is this crap? You call this quiche? It's slap! And this bouillabaisse is nothing but tripe! That's right. Yeah! <laughs>
chocolate mousse. You gotta use real cream. Or you don't make it at all. You know what I mean? WKRP's Howard Hesman. Yeah. All these guys came back to tell their stories. Buddy Hack. The Society to Oppress and Prevent Involuntary Tinkling. J.P. Morgan. The kid won't stop pissing. Avery Schreiber. My pits is killing me. And a few surprise guests. Based on a joke told by Earl Butts. Tight pussy loose shoes and a warm place to shit. Tight pussy loose shoes and a warm place to shit. Tight pussy loose shoes and a warm place to shit. That's it. That's it. Bring your friends or come alone. Anything. But don't miss loose shoes. You'll say. Oh, big hit. Good shit. Fuck off, folks.